0: Hello, my name is Tracy, and I thank you for tuning in to Standard Imaging's Out of the Gray, the world's fastest-growing radiation oncology and medical physics podcast. If you haven't already, please be sure to subscribe and share with your colleagues, friends, and family to help these stories continue their reach. Without any further delay, let's jump into this latest conversation. If you're joining us here for part 2 of 3D printing with Brian Overshiner from the 3D Innovations Lab at the University of Indiana and haven't had a chance to catch part 1, please do check out part 1 to learn more about the beginnings of Brian's 3D printing journey. Thank you for continuing his story as we jump back into Brian's story now.
1: He was my old neighbor. I used to cut his grass when I was 12, 13 years old. He used to live across the street from me. And I was like, that's my old neighbor. I was like, no way. How what are the odds of this? Like I hadn't seen him in 25 years. You know, he they ended up moving away, you know, probably when I was, you know, in middle school or early high school. But um, I remembered him. I was like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe this. So it was really funny when I when I went to finally meet him, you know, all that time had passed. So, of course, he didn't really recognize me. And when we started our conversation, I said, you know, did you used to live in a little yellow two story house? And, you know, off of 80th Street and Hig Road in Indianapolis. And he kind of looked at me strange, like, what is this guy talking like, stalking me or something, you know? And, uh, I was like, yeah, I'm Brian. I used to, you know, I used to stand in your living room every, every week and you'd write me a check for $20 for cutting your grass. And, um, he couldn't believe it. He was just like, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? He's like, I remember your parents. And we started had this real nice, you know, catching up. And, um, it was just really funny. I and mean, he said, what are you doing here? i like, what do you, what do you, what do you want? You're like, what are you doing? And I saw, you know, of course I gave him my pitch for you know, what I was doing with 3D printing with the cancer patients. And then I told him, I was like, listen, you know, this is just the first step. I was like, I want a 3D printing initiative for the entire hospital. I was like, we need a hospital-based 3D lab that can help surgeons, that can help researchers prototype, that can do all these things. And he's like, you know what, this is exactly what we need. So he's like, I'm going to have somebody send you some paperwork and let me know what you need. And um, about two weeks later, I got a check in the mail for uh, $300,000 to start the IU Health 3D Innovations Lab. And um, that's what we use to purchase all of our equipment, all of our software. We have FDA-approved software, validated machines, all of that stuff. And that really just gave us the jumpstart we needed. And um, after that happened, uh, I'm happy to say that my initial leadership in radiation oncology were super supportive of everything that I was trying to do with the 3D printing. I'll never forget Can't Overton, my supervisor. You know, I tell everybody this too. I mean, this is the kind of support that they give me, which is almost unheard of. But he would like come to me in the middle of the day. I'd be in a simulator, tr- you know, simming patients, scheduling, doing insurance authorization stuff, whatever it was I was doing. He would, he would literally come in the sim and say, you know what, I got an hour and a half of free time. I don't have a meeting. He's like, I'll cover you in the clinic if you want to go practice your 3d printing or go have a meeting with somebody or, or whatever you need to do. He's like, I'll cover you. And I can't even tell you how valuable um, and appreciative that was, you know, to Kent for, for doing that for me to help me get started. So, and they kind of quickly realized after I got the, the big check that uh, you know, there's no way I was going to be able to do my day job and try to start a 3d printing lab for the hospital. So they made a decision to allow me to step out of clinic and focus on the 3D printing full time. So about that happened probably around 2017, 2018, that uh, we moved the printing lab into an old vault that uh, the machine was, had been removed and it was just an open, open room. So um, right now we have about uh, 10 printers in a vault uh, in, in Radonk right now at the hospital. And we kind of spilled out into some other areas in, the, in our department. So and that's where we run everything currently for the entire hospital out of Radonk. Which is kind of crazy.
0: Phenomenal. So they an empty vault is now the 3D Innovations Lab for University it of Indiana. That's amazing.
1: Yeah. So like I said, people when I tell people, yeah, our labs in Rad Rat, rat on, they're like, Isn't that kind of a weird place? I'm like, I agree. It's probably not the first place you would think of, but it's just kind of how it worked out for me. Oh
0: well, yeah. I guess from from hearing your story, it doesn't always make sense though. Like I, I could see, yeah. you know, with the devices and everything being right there. So that's interesting. Now, moving back to something you mentioned there uh, in the middle of that, the opportunity to expand to a hospital-wide, as you said, for surgeons and and for other mm-hmm. things, that's happening. That's off the ground. That's actively going.
1: Yeah. So you know, after we kind of master—I'll uh, say master—but uh, mastered the bolus process. You know it's like what else can we do? you know, and so naturally, you know what we do is we take cat scans of the human body and, and make you know molds of it or or whatever and you know the workflow to make a three d anatomical model is pretty much the same. you know you take a scan and you segment out the the anatomy and then you three d print it, right um so we kind of already knew how to do that, so what we started to do was, you know, approach our, uh, since I worked in the cancer center, you know, we have uh, oncology surgeons there and we, we approached those surgeons. and We're like, Hey, you know, um, 3d modeling and, you know, 3d printing, 3d anatomical modeling for surgery, uh, is a really big thing nowadays. And it's, it's growing and it's, it can be super helpful for a number of reasons. You know, are you guys, would you guys be interested in, you know, doing this or, or working with us, you know, to develop this technology and, uh, we have one of our head and neck surgeons, Dr. Mantravati, that's a big champion of uh, using 3D printed models uh, for his surgery cases. So we do a lot of mandibles, a lot of facial reconstructive type models for him now in the cancer center. So, you know, we're expanding that out to other surgeons that are now interested in, you know, getting these models of these complex cases because it can save save them time in the operating room when we make these. uh, We can, you know, they, we can give them these models of the patient's anatomy. They can sit down with, their, with the actual patient and show them their own anatomy, explain to them, this is how we're going to fix you. This is what's wrong with you. And the patients tend to understand a lot better when you have something physical like that that you can show them. Because as everybody knows in this field, you know, it's, to the layperson, it's hard to understand medical terminology. It's hard to understand looking at cross-sectional you know, images. But if you can put something in their hand and they can look at it, touch it, feel it, and see it, they're like, oh, I get it now. I have a, I have a tumor right here in my bone. I get it. And it's really close to the teeth or it's really close to whatever clinical structure. And the surgeon can then explain, you know, this is how we're going to remove it. This is how, how we're going to repair it. So it's a better informed consent for those patients. And um, what we found um, from our surgeons, they, you know, we can, um, like, for, for example, if we were going to do a mandible, You know, one side has a tumor in the jaw that they're going to cut away. We can actually take that model and mirror the good side, if you will, to the other side and print a whole new jaw for that patient. And what they'll do with that good model is basically bend the surgical plates to that model so they're preformed. So before they ever walk in that um, OR, those surgical plates are already bent to shape. um, And so they just cut the bone away, put the new surgical plate in, screw it in, and they're done. So, you know, we've seen, you know, almost two hours uh, saved sometimes in the operating room, like doing that method. The surgeons, it's funny, Dr. Montravati will say he's sitting in his living room bending plates to the, these 3D printed models, you know, before the day before the surgery. So, um, you know, just because it saves them time and uh, safer for the patients, less time under anesthesia. And, you know, the patients are going to wake up with better symmetry in their face because, you know, we can actually sculpt, you know, the missing parts and, and make them however we want. Um, so it's just a really good way and a really good show how powerful uh, a good anatomical modeling program can be to a hospital.
0: it's out of this world. What an amazing thing to learn about and, and an advantage to the entire hospital, the, the entire campus there, have that such advantageous tools right there at their fingertips.
1: Yeah, for sure. And, you know, to be honest, um, you know, as I was learning early on when doing this, how to how to segment. Mm-hmm. CT scan anatomy, it dawned on me that in our own field in radiation oncology, we employ the world's best segmenters and dosimetrists, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. They contour parts of the body all day, every day. And they are they are like the world's experts at segment. Bros. So when I would get stuck with a case, like, you know, I'm trying to find a mental nerve in the jaw or whatever, I'd pop over to physics and you know, hit up my buddies in dosimetry and be like, hey, show me how you segment this. How do you see this? What do you look for? Like, so I started learning all the tricks of the trade to like segment, mo- uh, you know, models essentially from dosimetrists. And so uh, I credit them with teaching me a lot to actually in, in this whole process. So again, something that you never would have thought of from right on would be so beneficial to other areas, but uh, it's actually true. You know, they are the world's best segmenters for sure.
0: That is absolutely 100% true. You think about what goes on in, in the process of planning and how you get one slice at a time. You're exactly. essentially building layers of a model. That's amazing. Yeah,
1: it's <laughs> just the only thing we're doing with it is taking that model and we're going to go 3D print it or you know put it into virtual reality or whatever you want to do with it. But you know, the hard work is the segmentation part. that, that people always ask, you know, it's, it looks like it's hard to 3D print. It's actually really not. Once you hit print, all the hard work's been done. The machine operates by itself. Right. It's going to work overnight. It's not going to complain unless it runs out of material or loses power or something like that. But mm-hmm. for the most part, when you hit print, all the hard work spent on all the design that goes into whatever you're building, whether it's a something for the body or, or just a you know mechanical part, you know, the design is what's key. Uh, the printing is the easy part.
0: We will now take a quick break from our discussion to chat about our sponsor, Standard Imaging. With 31 years of dedication to good physics, we are here to help meet medical physics QA requirements accurately, safely, and efficiently. Our teams are looking forward to helping you select the best tools for the job and are only a click away at www.standardimaging.com. You'll find information about our comprehensive total QA solutions, find access to high quality customer care, support, and your regional account manager. We look forward to working with you and developing your program. Please feel free to reach out anytime. So from going through RADOX-specific devices for the patients there and then moving out of the RADOX department into surgery and and other departments, we were chatting before before we started recording today and you had mentioned a project that you worked on even this week for a new wrench for MR, (laughs) right? Yeah, Uh, Yeah. Which I find so fun, right?
1: Right. One thing, you know, going back to, you know, a little bit in our conversation where, you know, we started the lab, you know, he had this vision of doing it for the entire hospital. Part of that vision was to open up a space inside the hospital so that anybody with an idea has a place to come to now and be heard. And, um, you know, that idea of theirs can maybe come to life. Um, You know, I had an idea of using 3D printing to make bolus or other things. But I had really no place to start. There was, wasn't really any resources that were built in the hospital at the time to facilitate, you know, somebody like myself with an idea for something good. So that's why, you know, I spent a lot of time walking across the street to the university campus. But when I started the lab and it officially opened, I, I, our motto was we love ideas. We want to hear everybody's ideas. I don't care if you're a a secretary or a brain surgeon. If you have an innovative idea for something, let's hear about it. We, you know, we're trying to do a better job at the hospital of collecting, you know, people's ideas. You know, we do a lot of research with the university. I get that, um, which is awesome. But there's a lot of us that are just hospital employees that have, that work in the clinics and you know have good ideas for things, and, and we can do a better job of hearing all 30,000 employees' ideas. Anybody can be an innovator. So now this lab is a space, you know, call us up, we'll come talk to you, we'll see what your idea is, we'll see if it's feasible, if we can do it, and we'll build it for you and let you test it out and, you know, that sort of thing. And it kind of spurs innovation and gets people involved, which is really awesome. But in that process, you never know what somebody's going to ask for you. So, like, you know, as we were chatting earlier before we started, I got a call from one of our clinical engineers in radiology and said, hey, we we need a plastic wrench because we have to go into the MR machine and we have to undo this bolt for some apparatus and we can't take our metal wrenches in there. And I didn't have happen to have the, the kind he needed, you know, the non Ferris wrench. So I was like, yeah, we'll three d print you one real quick. So got it in my hand right now. Actually I'm going to take it in tomorrow morning for him. So, you know, it doesn't seem like a big deal to me printing a wrench out, but to that guy that has to do that job tomorrow, you know, it's a big deal for him. So we get asked to do the craziest things, you know, we're making small animal jigs for our research building cancer research to hold mice and hold rats and things like we've made things to hold human eyeballs for the eye institute. You know, we're fixing parts on apparatuses, handles that break or brackets that break and can't just buy that part. Well, what we actually do is re-engineer it better. So it doesn't break. You know, we can print in carbon fiber-based material, really strong material. So we'll we'll beef it up and make sure it doesn't break again. Um, But yeah, being that we're, we are, uh, college campus with the largest medical school in the country there is a lot of research that does happen so a lot of times we get people coming into the lab to have an idea for this new device and it's they have something sketched on a napkin or a piece of paper and like can you build this um, and then you know they don't have an engineering background per se but they know what they need so we can work with them to design and prototype this 3d printed or or manufacture it if it's doesn't always have to be 3d printed but you know that's where the engineering school has been a great partner with what I do is they supply us biomedical engineering and mechanical engineering students uh, that work in our lab as interns. So, you know, I, since I don't have a necessarily an engineering background, I call myself a redneck engineer. But you know, I learn I learn these design principles from these really intelligent, smart students, and I teach in turn teach them how to uh, design things with three D printing in mind, because it does change how you make something. If you know you're going to three D print it ahead of time, you're going to have to make some design changes, so you know it can be, it can be printed. I've had students in the past that, uh, you know, designed the, the most elegant CAD model of whatever it is. And I look at it and I tell them, yeah, you're not gonna be able to print that. And, you know, the look on their face is like, what do you mean I can't print this? It's like, well, let me, let me tell you why, you know, it's like the support material, are not going to be able to remove it. Or you have an internal passageway that's going to be filled with, you know, support material. You can't clean it out, you know, things like that. And, you know, we need to change the angles because we have overhangs that, aren't going to print right and all these design aspects that unfortunately aren't really being taught currently in some of these schools. So uh, it's a great opportunity for them to learn and it's a great opportunity for me to learn from them. So it's a really good relationship. So we can practically tackle just about any, any uh, task that's been coming to us from whether it's a surgeon needs a new tool or uh, the researchers have an idea. Um, so chances are we can build it for them.
0: There's so much to unpack there, Brian. I don't even know where to start. Such a cool journey there. Such an amazing little thing to think about. Walking around in the halls of an engineering building, you know, asking, you know, is anybody here know anything about anybody? You? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I
1: was like, you know, these guys over here in the engineering building, they probably know how to make a mold. Or yeah.
0: Anything.
1: And let me just start cold emailing people and, I remember I was I went to the engineering page on the school website and just started emailing people like hey my name's Brian this is what I'm trying to do I'm looking for help you think you help me and I got one guy that replied to me his name was Dr. Paul Yearling, and he was uh, in charge of the uh, IUPUI which is our our university there um they have a motorsports program where they cause I think it's one of the only one or two in the country I think it's very rare to have it but they it's like where they cuz Indianapolis is you know the racing capital of the world they say a lot of race car headquarters are here. So they have a program where they teach, you know, engineering for race cars and they built these machines. And I was like, those guys have to know how to design and build things. So he happened to be in charge of that area and he got back to me and um, he came over to the hospital and I kind of showed him what I wanted to do with the bowl is and all this stuff. And he's like, absolutely, we can help you. So he really helped me get the lab started with, you know, consult with me and like, hey, what equipment I should buy, you know, what materials I should use and he kind of helped me in those very early days get started so um like i said we we work very closely now with the engineering school um and it's been a really great partnership
0: that's fantastic to see those relationships come from just pure need they needed to exist then you know the requirement was there and they developed from that
1: yeah yeah they did you know and it's it's funny because i tell people it's you know it's 20 feet across the street they have a they have amazing talent over there right And we should be taking advantage of that. It's it's rare or not common, I should say, that a hospital has a school of medicine and an engineering school right next to each other. You know, and and we need to be talking to them better. You know, we need to have a stronger relationship, in my opinion, to do great things like this. So um, it's it's been great for the biomedical students because they get clinical experience now working on real clinical problems that our hospital has, and gives them. The ability to, you know, talk to physicians firsthand, just get that experience for their resumes and, and get exposed to these emerging technologies like 3D scanning, 3D printing, augmented reality, virtual reality, that, that sort of thing. So uh, students are literally banging down the door to the lab trying to get in and we're, we're like, come on in. We need all the help we can get, you know, so it's been really great.
0: Oh, fascinating. That's so cool. And what an asset. What an incredible asset to have all those amazing talent pools right next to each other, and you kind of walking around uh, liaising between them. And and now with a lab and a place where any of the you said thirty thousand employees can come with an idea and and have a you know the the most amazing way to pay it forward there.
1: Yeah, it has a lot of potential, and I think um, currently, not to divulge too much, but you know the hospital has has taken notice of what we've built. Sure. They're trying to figure out what to do with it, essentially. You know, we, we built this 3D lab and it's shown a lot of uh, value. It showed a lot of, uh, you know, innovation, obviously. And um, it's like, you know, maybe it should be its own thing now. You know, uh, as much as I love radiation oncology, it, we may have to become our own department to service, you know, the hospital better. So we're kind of in talks now with leadership to kind of stand up the 3D lab as as possibly its own thing, you know grow our team, grow our capabilities, and be able to service not just our downtown facilities, but all the 13 hospitals that IU Health has across the state of Indiana. You know, we, we could service all of those places with the Innovations Lab. So we're taking the next big step, uh, hopefully, you know, early next year into, into doing just that. So um, it's only going to get better. It's only going to continue to grow. And we're only going to find new ways to to use this emerging technology to make healthcare better for patients and you know that was the reason I I wanted to do this from from the start was to make patients treatments better and that's still going to be the goal moving forward is just you know how do we use this technology to do that
0: huge things on the horizon there for you and your team I'm at a loss for words it's, it's so incredible to hear what an amazing story you have I I know I'm going to have a listener out there somewhere ask if someone outside of the University of Indiana is interested in in procuring your assistance in developing a device, is that possible?
1: Um, yeah, that's it, it. Gets tricky. We're working on that. Um, as like, I think that's part of you know uh, standing up the lab as a its own thing, um, giving us the ability to work with folks outside of our hospital. You know, we're a nonprofit hospital system. We do things for our own patients currently. Uh, I'm not really in the position to, uh, make things for other outside patients currently, but, you know, I think that is, that is a goal of mine is to be able to share this technology with others. And we do like to educate, you know, uh, others on the technology and how it can be used. So I think that's part of our master plan is to figure out how they, how we can do that from the business side of things. Um, but. In the meantime, you know, I, I'm happy to to direct people. I'm happy to, you know, give suggestions on how to get started. You know, we we I spent the last good five years of my life figuring this this all out. And you know, a lot of people ask me the billing, the legal, all these types of, of things that come up. And it is is a complex thing and it's it's currently, you know, it's constantly changing. This emerging, you know, technology like 3D printing, which you know, uh, is, is new, not necessarily new itself, but new inside of a hospital setting and in a clinical setting relatively. It's like, you know, again, the legal ramifications of, of making the parts yourself in-house. What does that look like? You know, if something were to happen, if I make this wrench that I spoke about earlier and it drops and falls on a patient and hurts them or something, you know, something crazy happens, who's responsible for that now since you made that, wasn't purchased from an outside vendor? Where does the liability lay with that? You know, all these questions are starting to come up now. Internally, the uh, FDA is 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 working on guidelines now for for medical based 3D printing and point of care 3D printing. So we're all anxious. All of us in the industry are kind of anxiously waiting to see what happens with that. As with any emerging technology, you know, it always outpaces the regulatory stuff, right? So they're trying to catch up now and give us guidelines on how we can operate safely and legally. So. You know we kind of err on the side of caution, you know we always take into account when we make something, whether it's you know a mobility device for occupational therapy, you know what are what are the legal ramifications of this? is it could this have the potential to hurt somebody? you know what kind of material is it going to be made out of? So we take a very um serious approach to that. Uh, we QA all of our three D printing machines because we are making medical devices. You know, we record our QA process to show that our machines are accurate. And we use FDA validated software and things like this. So, we try our best to do that, and those are really important. You know, as as you you know take a more professional um, approach to three D printing.
0: Absolutely astounding! Such a fun thing to learn about. Um, I can definitely see the benefit and and the absolute asset that you and your team are to the, your, to your surrounding group there.
1: Yeah. Um, like I said, I think we do have, we do provide a lot of value and, um, you know, a lot of people, when they ask me, you know, Hey, I want to start a lab. What do I, you know, it's, it's a big upfront cost, you know, for some, some places and you, know, you can buy the equipment, right. These printers are not cheap. You have to have the personnel. You have to have people that know how to use the equipment. Um, you know, so maybe you have to hire some people or or whatnot. So, you know, there's these, these, these big upfront costs for, percenters centers that want to try to get into this, you know, and they may not see the savings until what I call the back end of things. So if I make a surgical model, you know, it costs whatever it costs. And, you know, you won't really see the savings until the surgery happens. And, you know, you find out like, hey, I saved two hours on that surgery case. You know, that's, that's a big deal when it costs, you know, literally hundreds and hundreds of dollars a minute to run the operating rooms, you know, so any time saved in that, scenario is going to be valuable to an organization so you know some like IU Health for example we do roughly probably somewhere in the neighborhood of 85,000 plus surgeries a year so if you if I just touched one percent of those surgeries with a with a surgical modeling program and we improved you know cut down 10 minutes of time savings let's say on on each case you know that's Almost a thousand models a year—that's an—that's an insane amount. We couldn't even handle that currently. But now you're talking millions of dollars, literally, and cost savings for the organization, which essentially then pays for your 3D you know, innovations lab or whatever you want to call your your operation. So, you know, you have to think of it sometimes in those kind of terms. It's not necessarily like how much can we charge for this or how much can we build for this. It's how much the cost savings it, it adds up. You know, it's the old saying, right? And he saved as a penny earned. So you know that's kind of the when you approach innovation, it's not always should be in the, in the mindset of like can we build for this? Um, I think that's kind of the wrong way to look at it, even though I, I realize the importance of that and I get it. but it also at the same time, it kind of you know sours the innovation spirit a little bit when it's like when we're trying to do something and we find out like hey, this saved a bunch of money, but at the same on the, on the flip side, you know, you have somebody from the finance office that says, well, this is a great invention and it saves a lot of money and time, but now we can't bill for that. So we're going to lose, we're actually going to lose money, so to speak. And you kind of get deflated when you, when, you, when you hear that, you know, um, and that's just kind of the dynamic uh, that we in this country have with our healthcare system. It's, it's for profit, right? So it's, it's trying to figure out how to, how to build innovation and R&D and do all these types of things with emerging technologies and figure out how to make it sustainable. And I think a lot of people are working on that model right now in the industry, trying to figure out how do we do this? And I know, you know, for those listeners that, you know, may be interested in in this topic, you know, the RSNA has a special um, interest group for 3D printing um, right now that has a database where people like myself and others can pool in a bunch of clinical data that we're collecting right now on 3D printing in medicine how much cost savings it actually does have and, and, and things like this. So we have all this ammunition, hopefully that will go to, you know, insurance companies eventually will, you know, start to reimburse for, you know, anatomical models and other, other devices. Um, And so that's coming. I feel confident that that will happen in the next, you know, several years. You know, we have a lot of 3d printing companies that are also supporting this because, you know, obviously they stand to do very well from, Modeling services, so I feel like we have the backing and the support there to get this um, moved forward. Uh, it's just going to take some some time. Like I said earlier, the FDA has to step in, tell us what we can and can't do, and things like this. But um, it's coming. It's the future for sure.
0: Phenomenally bright future there for things to come for the benefit of patients and and staff and and hospitals in Indiana, and then tomorrow the world. Right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's uh, hopefully that's what it's going to be. I, I get a, I get a question a lot too of like you know where do you see, you know, medical three D printing essentially you know five to ten years from now or three D printing in general and the answer that I'm I'm giving currently is you know what you know as our lab grows and other labs across the country grow we'll be able to basically hire somebody literally off the street that knows nothing about three D anything right the software is becoming smarter. It's got AI features, deep learning algorithms now. It'll automatically segment the body for you. You know, it will send the segmented part to a 3D printer that self-calibrates, self-levels everything and just starts printing. And then, you know, you would literally have to go over to the printer and take it off and then go deliver it to whoever. And you won't really have to know anything. You know, that's how automated things are going to be becoming the automation process for 3D printing is just it's, it's, it's already started. It's, it's, it's happening. So as, as time moves forward, like I said earlier, these machines are getting faster, smarter, Um, they're coming down in costs. So it's going to be a lot more obtainable for, you know, sites to start maybe thinking about doing this in house, you know, and there's also an argument to be made for your smaller clinics that again, maybe can't afford to, to dip their toe into buying a printer or, Things you can outsource. This there's a lot of companies now that will that will make these parts for you, print them for you, and they handle all the QC and things like that. So there's ways to get involved with 3D printing, and start using it for patients, even without having your own, you know, facility in in house.
0: That's wonderful for for folks out there listening that that see an ad, see an advantage when you don't have the upfront resources, right, or the the assets around you there that you had to to kind of get started some some ways in
1: right yeah yeah you just got to kind of search them out and just you know my biggest thing that i tell people that when i was you know thinking about getting their own printer because it looks fun or whatever And i was like you just got to do it like i did i just literally went out and bought one i knew i didn't know anything but i didn't care i just wanted to start and you gotta just do it start doing it you know i can't tell you how many times i would come in the lab and i would turn the lights on crossing my fingers like hopefully my print came out and i would look at it and you know pile of spaghetti you know, the print failed at some point point. it just kept spitting out material and it just looked like a big hairball. And, you know, that happened a lot early on, you know, you fail a lot. And, um, what I learned was you have to embrace the troubleshooting, uh, which is what a lot of people don't like to do. Right. We hate, we hate going through that process. We just want it to work. And, um, early on, you know, with, with the way that the printers were and things like that, and me learning, there was a lot of failures, you know, and, um, If you walked in my lab today, you would see on the shelf just tons and tons of random objects. You know, it's kind of funny because early on, people would walk in there and be like, What are you doing in here? You're looking at the shelf, like, you're printing boats and figurines and like all these weird shapes. And like, what is what are you doing? You know, you're just back here playing or something. I'm like, no, I'm I'm practicing. I'm I'm learning how to master the printer and how it works, and I'm learning how to master the material. Because you gotta remember all these materials print at different settings, different speeds, different temperatures, all these things. And these prints can take a while. So you want to make sure you know what you're doing before you waste, you know, 12 hours on a 3D print or something like that. So, so it's a lot of constant practice to, to make sure um, you have your settings right and you know what you're doing. And for me, being kind of a technology geek, I guess, uh, I, I liked that aspect of it. I liked understanding how the machine worked and what it was doing. And so I kind of embraced that troubleshooting, uh, I guess, aspect of it. And, uh, you know, now apparently I'm an expert at it, but, you know, I was just going through that process.
0: Definitely the expert there for sure. And not only in in 3d printing, but also having a vision and following that vision. you seem to have had that, that mastered.
1: Well, you know, uh, it was a lot of luck, uh, you know, it's sometimes it's who you know and a lot of luck, um, and and it was a lot of determination. I, I won't lie. Um, you know, a lot of people told me you can't do it or no or whatever, and um, I would be lying if I said uh, some of my motivation wasn't just out of pure spite, like out of like no, I'm going to show you I can do this. You know, I'm going to prove to you that I can accomplish this. You know, and learn whatever it was or do whatever it was. So you know. You know, I had this I had this drive that just, you know, once I get into a hobby, I tend to kind of overdo it a little bit. This was one of those cases where, uh, you know, I wanted to learn 3D printing and it kind of gave me, you know, a new a new some, a goal, I guess, in life. You know, I'd kind of, you know, been a staff therapist for, you know, decade and a half. And I, you know, a CT sim therapist and I, I love I still and I do mistreating patients and all that. And I love my job. Um, but I kind of like reached my limit on what I could do, you know, it wasn't really much for me else for me to do as a therapist. Um, and so this, this new 3d printing idea and everything just kind of gave me a new, you know, goal or, or a career goal, I guess you could say, or some, some kind of like motivation. So I remember early on when I was trying to learn all this, I would walk out of the hospital, walking to my car and just, you know, thinking about hopefully that print turns out tomorrow when I come in, you know, like. It was like what was getting me out of bed is every day was the excitement of trying to learn something new and 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 accomplish something. So um, I was lucky that that never burnt out. I kind of that stayed with me, and I kind of just kept chipping away at it, and um, slowly but surely we were able to to get it accomplished. So, but I had a lot of help along the way. A lot of people on campus helped me. I have some awesome. I have an awesome employee that works in the lab. Uh, Timothy Nici is a one of these savant wonder kids that just, you know, absorbs technology. And, um, you know, I'll talk a little bit about him. He has his degrees in economics and anthropology. He's not an engineer. He's just a really brilliant young guy that loves 3D printing just as much as I did. And, um, you know, a lot of times if I can't figure it out, I'll I'll say, Hey, Tim, can can you figure out how to take an optical scan and merge it with, you know, whatever, whatever we're doing. So I'm like having trouble with it. He's like, You know, give me two days, give me two days and a bunch of energy drinks. And I guarantee you, it will come back and you'll have to figure it out. You know, so I can't do a lot of what I do without him, without the engineering students that work in the lab and all the support that I've gotten along the way from our leadership and um, our Radon leadership as well. You know, none of this would have been possible. So I'm really fortunate that it just kind of all worked out for me. And um, I'm just really excited about, you know, where we can take it. Like we said, the potential is huge for this, for these hospital systems um, to benefit. So we're just going to keep chugging away day by day. And, and the trick is just trying to figure out how we use this technology, right? It's, it's, a, it's a great tool, but the trick is, you know, how do we use it? Where does it fit in with people's workflows? Can it improve workflows for certain people? Can it replace certain, you know, antiquated workflows, you know? things like that. So that's the trick is trying to figure out how to use it.
0: Absolutely. Just again, just amazing, wonderful team you've got there. And couldn't be more grateful for you taking time to share your amazing story and the wonderful things that you've learned along the way, but especially the, the absolute gratitude for your team there and for the folks that helped you along the way. And and the hope and aspirations for the future—it's admirable.
1: Well, thank you. Yeah, I, I, I'm very lucky, like I said, and I and I don't lose sleep over that fact. You know, I tell people all the time that I meet in the hospitals, like you know, cause they, and, they'll, and they'll tell me usually, like, "Man, you have the best job," and I'm like, I agree. I, I think it's awesome. I get to play with emerging tech and figure out how to use it to help people. And like I said, it's what gets me out of bed. And I'm, I'm just super fortunate that they let me do it. <laughs> and So, um, you know, maybe part of that was the fact that, you know, when I left the CT sim, they filled my old position. So I was like, oh, no, I got to figure out how to, I have to make this work. Right. You know, so I've had to put in the hours, you know, because there was no going back. So uh, maybe that had something to do with it. filled uh, my job. I got to make
0: this work. I
1: got to make this work. <laughs> yeah. yeah oh, no, you know, it's funny because, you know, other people in this industry probably understand it's like you know in theory i could do this you know like, can you make this i'm like yeah if i had the right software and the right printer and the right whatever yeah i could probably make that and then once you get the right printer and the software you're like oh no i gotta i now i have to actually figure out how to do this and so you know you have a lot of those moments but um that's what's fun is like trying to figure out how to do things we, we uh like i said and it's not possible without the support so you know advice again free advice to those who want to chart this You know make sure you get buy-in from your leadership that they support you in this, um, find those champions and throughout your clinic or your hospital that, that are excited about emerging technology, like printing or, or scanning or whatever it is. And, um, you know, join forces with them, strength in numbers. I was just, you know, like I said, fortunate that my leadership, you know, listened to me and didn't think I was crazy when I said, I want to start a 3d printing lab in our department. It could it could have went the other way. They could have been like, yeah, you know, don't worry about that. Focus on on your day job. But uh, they were they were awesome. So,
0: yeah, that's so true. Focus on your, you know, we 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 hired you for this, so so do this yeah. instead of. But that support, having that support system and that push forward, and those amazing, you know, the the leg up here and there that we're willing to connect you with this person or all of those amazing connections and and the assets around you really did help. I can see that much, but without that intestinal fortitude yeah. to push forward, you know, the project could very well still be a dream, but very much a reality these days. And to that, for the people who are listening, be it a radiation therapist, a CMD, a, a doc, a physicist with an idea, what would be your advice to those folks who are currently kind of sitting at their desks and and have that file in, in the back of their filing cabinet that they've always wanted to pursue. What's the first step to open that cabinet door and, and pull that file out to, to put it into action?
1: Man, um, you know, what I would say is uh, no matter what the idea is, um, it can be done. You know what I mean? Uh, it is possible. Uh, a lot of times when we go around and give talks at the, at the school or whatever, it's when I tell somebody. Like, oh, we can 3D print in, you know, carbon fiber-based materials or flexible materials or biocompatible or conductive materials. It's like, they're like, wow, I didn't even know you could do that. You know, I didn't know that was even possible. And it's like, well, in that case, could you make this? I'm like, yeah, we can do that. You know, like, it just kicks off an innovation uh, idea because they didn't even know what they didn't know, you know. So no matter how crazy your idea is, you know, start doing some just baseline, you know, is this possible? You know, talk to some people, like go on some forums, ask some 3D printing experts, hey, I want to build this. Do you think this is possible? You know, um, you know, things like that. Um, You'd be surprised what people can do these days with with emerging technologies. Um, Reverse engineering, 3D scanning, 3D printing, you know, even the old school, what I say old school, CNC machining. Just because you can 3D print something doesn't always mean you should. Uh, That's something I had to learn the hard way you know, a lot of times because, you know, early on, I would never say no to a project. Someone asked me to make something. I'm like, yeah, we can do that. Sure. Absolutely. And I go back to the lab and be like, oh, no, how am I going to do this? You know, so <laughs> maybe 3D printing was not the, the best way to make this, you know, or the mm-hmm. most efficient or cost effective way. So, you know, um, but yeah, don't don't give up on your ideas. Um, try to find it. Like I said, try to find others that can help you, you know, get it off the ground find a place that universities, libraries, you know, public libraries that have 3D print labs, go talk to the people that run those printers. They usually know how to print pretty well. Um, They know how to design for printing, you know. You know, I'm part of a 3D printing, local 3D printing group for for Indianapolis. We have get-togethers. We have an online community, you know, try to get tapped into some things like that to see, you know, what people think of your idea and, you know, see what what the hard points would be to get your idea, you know, made into something you know you just start that learning process and uh just never give up if somebody tells you no you can't make that do what i did just get mad just get mad and say you know what i'm gonna make it anyways you know <laughs> just figure it out
0: <laughs> get mad and turn that printer off.
1: <laughs> use that junk energy in a good way right that's what i always say
0: there you go redirect redirect <laughs>
1: right, to positivity right. exactly I stay positive it. just look at it as a minor hurdle you can get through
0: it. Fantastic stuff. Brian, I know you're a busy person. you got lots going on there in the lab and I could not be more appreciative for you being willing to spend some of your precious hours here on out of the gray with us to en- enlighten myself and our listeners as to all the amazing things they're going on at the uh, innovations lab at IU. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's, it's an absolute pleasure um, to talk to you today and uh, let people know that uh, there are folks in radiation oncology that are, that are actually, you know, you know, doing this kind of stuff. And um, I'm proud to represent uh, my original family of oncology.
0: (laughs) We are so proud to have you as a member of that original family and and look forward to seeing all the amazing things. The future is bright. You're going to need some amazing sunglasses.
1: (laughs) Well, I'll start printing some right now, I guess.
0: Ah, There you go. There you go. There you go. go. That's amazing. (laughs) Thank you again, Brian. I so appreciate it.
1: No problem. Pleasure.
0: If you're still hanging out with us today, we have had the pleasure of chatting with Brian Overshiner, radiation therapist and 3D printing expert from the 3D Innovations Lab at the University of Indiana. We've had a blast having you with us today and we look forward to seeing you next time. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful day.